Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. I was frequently alone or preferred being alone because of how scary it was when I wasn't alone. So I'd spend a lot of time alone with my dog. And I remember my first memory was actually almost drowning when I was two because I was alone. Um, My dog saved me. And then it was when I was four that my uncle was murdered. And there were just many things that happened. Um, I was a latchkey kid for a lot of that time. So just kind of raised myself. And when I was 12, my stepfather, my first stepfather of six weeks molested me. And then one of the weirdest things that happened, I think, um, that was one of the harder things for me to shake and I did therapy over was I was walking to high school, 8.30 in the morning, I was 15 years old, and I was attacked on the street. Hi, Survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry, and this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode, and we have a we have a really good one this week because we've got somebody who is not only a survivor, but also has worked with post-traumatic stress, uh, ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and, and developed programs to help lead people through trauma. And who is our guest? Yes, our guest is Tana Amen. She is a New York Times bestselling author. She's a health and fitness expert. She's the vice president of the Amen Clinics, the world's leader in brain health. The Amen Clinics is the best place for brain health. They're leading experts in brain science, I think is what you yes. need to say, right? Yes. Yeah, they yes. do things like brain scans and things for, for people who have been through post-traumatic stress and to analyze that so they can better understand how the human brain and the human body then therefore copes with stressful situations. Yes, you said it right. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm here to sum up for the for the audience. So, but yes. Tara, you have some direct experience with them, correct? Oh, yes. Right after my attack, I went to the Amen Clinics. I met with a therapist there and I only did about probably six sessions there, but my sister got a brain scan. Her boyfriend got a brain scan. And it's really interesting how, say, People get diagnosed with certain things and then you get a brain scan and you realize it might be toxic mold. It might be this. It might be something else. And it's really interesting because you don't know unless you get inside to the body. Which they have this valuable insight that they offer people and they they believe they've even offered us. Well, she offered us brain scans, which we hopefully are going to get soon. Yes, I hope that happens because that would be a dream. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get into today's episode with Tana Amen. Let's get into it. So, Tana Amen, thank you so much for joining the program today. Uh, so great to have you. Well, thank you so much. So, why don't we uh, why don't we start off with hearing a little bit about your story and how you came into and, and the work that you're currently doing? So, it's interesting. I am a nurse and an author and a speaker. Um, and so, my husband, when I met my husband, Dr. Daniel Amen, 
He's a psychiatrist. And he kept telling me, wow, like, like you're amazing for what you've been through. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, it's just my life. Like, you know, isn't this normal? And he's like, no, this isn't normal at all. Um, and so he wanted me to tell the story. But as I really started thinking about it, I'm like, no, I'm not really comfortable telling the story. It took me a long time to come to that conclusion that this is something that I want to share. And um, I finally, I finally decided to, because I thought if there's anything I've been through that might be able to help someone else, then I want to be able to do that. So, you know, I finally, a couple of years ago, just made the decision that, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and share this because um, there are just so many people who have struggled and have been through trauma that we're, you know, we're better together. And I just decided to, that it was time. I love that. So can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and what it was like to grow up in Southern California with, I believe your mom was a single mom as well. So I grew up um, for a short time in the Valley and then Huntington Beach. So always in Southern California. My mother was actually a high school dropout and a 16 year old runaway before she had me. Um, So she lived on the streets for a while. I mean, her life was rough. So it sort of stands to reason you can see with the lack of education and economics and, you know, finances that maybe my life was a little bit, a little bit not so normal. Um, Let's put it that way. So she had to work a lot. My mom worked three jobs and she, her biggest problem, my mother was not an addict. So I actually really applaud her strength and I get my grit from her. Her biggest problem was that she was codependent. She felt like she had to fix everybody It was her job to rescue everybody that probably shouldn't have been around a child. And so therein lied a lot of the, was a lot of the problem. And she also um, had a really bad picker when it came to men. So, so there, there were a few problems there as well, but my uncle who was a heroin addict lived with us. My other uncle was murdered because of a drug deal gone wrong. Um, They sort of figured out he was probably an informant Um, He was trying to help my other uncle get out of it. It's sort of a big convoluted mess. Um, But I was frequently alone or preferred being alone because of how scary it was when I wasn't alone. So I'd spend a lot of time alone with my dog. And I remember my first memory was actually almost drowning when I was two because I was alone. Um, My dog saved me. And then it was when I was four that my uncle was murdered. And there were just many things that happened um, I was a latchkey kid for a lot of that time. So just kind of raised myself. And when I was 12, my stepfather, my first stepfather of six weeks molested me. And then one of the weirdest things that happened, I think, um, that was one of the harder things for me to shake and I did therapy over was I was walking to high school, 830 in the morning. I was 15 years old and I was attacked on the street. And it it seems random, whether it was or not, it was very, you know, this guy looks like he was going to work on Wall Street and wearing a suit. And I was so like, I fought really hard. And I almost got raped. I mean, he he was dragging me down an alley. And I fought really hard. And I got away from him. But I just the constant chaos that was my life, just finally felt overwhelming. And I developed an eating disorder. um, And it was, you know, I, I just didn't know how to get out of it. And then in my early 20s, I actually developed cancer. And so I think a lot of my health issues were actually because of the chronic stress as a kid. In fact, I'm fairly certain of it. So um, cancer that recurred multiple times. So, I mean, I could go on and on, but I think that's that's sort of a, a thumbnail version of it. 
It's interesting you mentioned the, the cancer thing with the with the traumatic stress as a child, and um, it's something I've been as I get older. I've been thinking a lot about <laughs> a lot about my own life. I mean, I, I'm you know knock on wood, I'm uh, pretty healthy, but uh, I think about that because you said 12 years old. That was when my life uh, changed when my father murdered my mother, Oof. and um, it was. It was one of those things, yeah. So I, I can relate to the latchkey things. I grew up in the foster care system, and and uh, because I ended up putting my father in jail, because I've I've the one that witnessed it happen. But mm-hmm. which he still is at to this day. I keep thinking about the recurring health problems and the cycle of trauma that we kind of put ourselves through. So I Tara has mentioned that you're very into the health aspect of of the work that you do. I really am. And I'm listening to your story. And this is really interesting because we actually adopted our two nieces um, out of foster care. So my half-sister is a mess. And I, I actually think that I, I developed something called post-traumatic growth. Yeah. <laughs> but my, my sisters and many of my family members did not. They just stayed stuck. And so my nieces, um, have you ever, are you familiar with ACE scores or adverse childhood experiences? I was actually just watching a TED talk on it not too long ago, but yeah, I'm very familiar with it. So I'm, I'm like obsessed with it. And so that's a big part of what I do is I love studying ACE scores. You can take a quiz and they score you from zero to 10. And it's based on how many childhood, adverse childhood experiences you have experienced because that actually, when a child goes through trauma, their brain looks similar to a soldier coming back from war, yeah. except that when a child goes through trauma, they have a developing brain. Yeah. And that's the problem because it affects things like the amygdala, which can make you get stuck in flight or fight and your cortisol stays high, hence getting sick all the time. It affects your frontal lobes so they don't work as well. And that's the executive part of your brain. And therefore, you end up making worse decisions. It affects your memory center, makes you more vulnerable to having memory problems and even Alzheimer's disease. It affects so many aspects of your brain as it develops. But all of those things are bathing your body in stress hormones. Yeah. So that is why they think um, if you have a score of four more, zero to 10 is how they score you. Mine's like eight or nine. Yeah, (laughs) mine's eight. Mine's eight. My nieces are nine. So mine is an eight. My nieces are a nine. So I I relate to you. We're, We're like connected in that way. Um, But if you have a score of four or more, you are more likely to have seven of the 10 leading causes of death. And if you have a score of six or more, you die on average 20 years younger, (laughs) earlier. So I became obsessed because I'm like, that's not fair. I'm not okay with this. What can I do to change it? So I literally was watching this TED, rewatching this TED talk from like TEDx San Francisco or something about this. Cause I guess it's the, the, one of the authors of the study comes from Stanford. Nadine Burke Harris. Is that who you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Precisely yeah. that particular talk that she did. And I was actually making notes in it for, for Tara and I, for another project. I literally thought the same thing you just said. I was like, that's not fair. First of all, I have a really good memory, which is why my father's in prison, because I remembered every single detail of everything. I caught him. Like, <laughs> he's in prison because of me, so that won't work. And then I'm thinking about all these other I swim every day. Right. I work out. I'm like, this is not Oh, gonna... me too. Me too. I'm like a health fanatic. So I'm like, why did I get... I've had 10 medical surgeries, cancer that recurred. I was in and out of the hospital all the time as a kid, upper and lower GIs when I was four. And I'm like, why? It doesn't make sense. And now I understand why. But the good thing is, is if you understand what's happening, you start going after the risk factors. You start going after the issue. And so you start, you know, that's where the meditation comes in, learning how to lower your cortisol, learning how to calm yourself and eat healthier and sleep, fixing your sleep, all of those things. 
boundaries with family. Yeah. Like, I love you and I'm going to miss you. So I really like when I listened to the book that you were great at boundaries and then your husband was like, well, you know, they're family, they're family. And I was like, wait, this girl is really great at her boundaries. I love her. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so interesting. So if you I, I used to like my favorite saying is not my circus, not my monkey, right? Or not my monkey, whatever you say. It. And I'm like, but you can't <laughs> if you don't want the circus to come to your house, you can't marry a psychiatrist who's who's hell bent on saving the world. Right. So I, it was so crazy because my family, if you I gave you just a taste of it, it's truly like my book is the readers is the PG-13 version of my life because I had a yeah. Christian publisher who didn't want me putting stuff in there. So that's sure. really the watered down version of it. And my husband, you know, we, and I agreed with him. We had to do something for my nieces. We had to get them out of foster care, but he just wanted to bring all these people back into my life that I had gotten out of my life. And I'm like, absolutely not. And he, he kept pushing on it. He's like, honey, I know how to do this because this is what I do for a living. And I'm like, honey, you get paid for this for a job and you leave at the end of the day. This was my crazy life. I am the expert when it comes to my crazy family. You had to leave it to Beaver for your family. Mine's Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, you need to, like, let me deal with this in my own timing. Yeah. Because it was nuts. God, don't you just envy the leave it to Beaver people? <laughs> oh, dear Lord. My husband's family is the most normal family I've ever met. And I love them. I've adopted them. It was part of why I just fell in love with him. I fell in love with his family. That's funny. I've never heard anybody say the Leave it to Beaver family. I just I, I just would just go, yeah, you guys are normies. You guys, yeah. you don't know any. Exactly. You know, you, you don't like envy those people. I mean, you envy them in like a, a small way, but it's more of a joke. At least for me, it's more of a joke right. about the envy because I'm just like, well, I'm like, you don't want my, you, you don't want what I went through. Like that's, it's all good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I can relate because I, and I don't know if you felt like this, but I felt like because of what I went through, and I don't, I don't really want to get into my story, but, but what I went through, I had to be the adult when everyone else was being the child. So my mother's family abandoned me because I look like my father. My father's side of the family oh. abandoned me because I put my father in jail. He's the reason why I got he, I'm the reason why he got arrested because they wouldn't have, police wouldn't have known about anything or my father was able to handle it. And my father's a master, he's a psychopath and a master manipulator, right? So they're all, they all drank the Kool-Aid and then the other side of the family hates him. So they all took that out of me. So I was literally left in foster care going, is life just gaslighting me? Am I, cra am I completely crazy and at fault with all of this? And I think you learn at that age to, to be that adult and in your case, you know, then you bring these people back into your life slowly. My mine are so far detached from my life because they're so far detached from reality in general, and they live in the quagmire. Mm -hmm. How do you relate to that in a way? Like, how do you? Because you just said you, you know your half your sister was is a mess, and you you look at those situations, and how do you maintain that empathy? Mover Nation, you guys all know how I lead a really busy life, right? And I know we could all use. A little more relaxation. Now, whether you're trying to chill out or just need a good night's rest, Next Evo's CBD will be your best friend. But, and this is big, not all CBD products are created equal. Shockingly, a study found that many CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels promise. I've been trying out Next Evo Naturals and Movers. It's the real deal. And their commitment? Well, it's giving you exactly what's on the label. Remember, they've undergone four clinical trials, a feat unmatched by any other 
brand of CBD. Now, I personally adore their Stress CBD Complex gummies. When I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, they are a total game changer. And those nights when sleep is all too elusive for me, the triple action CBD sleep does absolute wonders. Leave summer stress behind and upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com forward slash MPT to get 25% off plus a free bottle of premium pure CBD, a $50 value limit one use per customer. That's nextevo.com slash MPT. So I can easily have empathy and forgiveness. I, I don't hold any anger or hatred. I mean, I, that's, I was pretty angry at her for what she did to her kids, but I dealt with that and I can easily love people from a distance. There, there's, I can forgive people. Forgiveness does not mean access. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing I learned. Forgiveness doesn't give you access. That's why there are jails. Okay, so you can forgive people <laughs> yes. and, and not have to have access to people who are toxic to you. That's where people make a mistake in my mind when I'm coaching people. They're like, they don't deserve my forgiveness. And I'm like, okay, but do you deserve to forgive them because you're making yourself sick? You don't need, they keep thinking that they have to, if they forgive them, they have to bring them back into their lives. That's not true. Yeah. Or they have to accept what they did. Yeah. Right. No, you don't need to accept it. When I forgave my father, they were like, well, why didn't you, how could you forgive him? And I'm like, because you're looking at it the wrong way. It's not about him. It's about me. It's about me moving on. 100%. I wish more people who had been through trauma could say what you just said. Because it's it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of like the growth of it is having like that positivity, but with those boundaries. Because something I learned from your husband that having positivity is great but being aware of what is going to hurt you is even better mm -hmm. because you kind of learn that danger factor and so i think that it's important for it to grow forward and i kind of want to go back to the thyroid of trauma because i noticed that when i work with a lot of my clients i do coaching because of my incident. And I don't know if you're aware of my story, but it actually happened in Newport Beach. Um, I defended myself against my stepdad who came after me. It was called Dirty John. And so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I defended myself and I killed him in self-defense. And I have thyroid issues myself. And I have the hypothyroidism. And I manage it based on my diet. And I don't have any issues. I don't take any pills or anything. But I noticed so many people with trauma mm -hmm. have thyroid issues. And do you know why that is? So I don't know specifically why it's thyroid. I do know, I mean, I, the connection between getting sick and having trauma is clear. Um, there is a lot of research being done and a lot of speculation as to why certain organs might be affected by certain types of trauma. Okay. And I mean, some people believe that it might have something to do with losing your voice. I don't know enough about that part of it. But one thing I can say is a lot of thyroid issues are autoimmune. So depending on what your life was like, um, when you're, what is an autoimmune disorder? It is your body pissed off at you. Okay. For something. <laughs> it's friendly fire. Okay. It's friendly fire. And that happens from stress. It happens from certain diets. It happens from a lot of those things. So again, you go back to 
that extreme stress response and all sorts of crazy things are going to happen. But I can't answer specifically why thyroid, but it seems that a lot of women in particular are very vulnerable to thyroid issues, when especially women who have been under a lot of stress and, and chronically, um, you know, just bathed with cortisol. Traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And like with the cortisol, that also ups inflammation in the body as well, right? Absolutely. It increases inflammation. It, it does so many things. It, it, it actually makes you vulnerable to so many illnesses. Um, and it's increasing inflammation. It puts weight on you. It makes you vulnerable to diabetes, heart disease, cancer, so many things. Oh, wow. Take it you're not a fan of sugar. No. Well, I was addicted to, I'm a, I'm a frosting, like frosting is my crack. Well, I think we're all addicted to it. I Tara and I were talking about this earlier. Yeah. Is the, it's like once you, once you eat sugar, you just, you can't stop and then it makes you hungry. It's just, it's. Well, then that, what is that? That's an addiction. So it's, like, it's a complete addiction. Yeah. I stay away from it because I'm not, every, when people say everything in moderation, I'm like, mm, cocaine affairs, you know, there's a lot of things in moderation that are not going through. <laughs> And sugar is one of those things for me that I can't control. I can't modulate it. So no, yeah, I hear you. It's interesting, you know, and you talk about talking about inflammation and things that are not good for you in moderation. There was just an article that was recently released about alcohol. Yeah, you know, we all hear about oh, alcohol, oh, a little bit of red wine is good for your heart. Glass, you know, all the all the nonsense that they feed you, right? Because they want you to drink to buy their product. And there was an article that came out that said. Uh, this moderation thing is is complete BS. Like it's yep. it's not you, it's it's not good for you. Just straight up, it's not right. good for you. No one would in their right mind say, you know what, Tana? Half a pack of cigarettes is okay a day as long as exactly. it's not a pack. <laughs> like, it's okay. My husband like, was so excited when that article came out because he's been saying that for so many years and taking heat for it, and so he was so excited. And I have to tell you, I used to be one of the people who bought into that a long time ago. It's like, oh, a glass of oh, wine a night is fine. Me too. And then I started to see brain scans. When I met my husband and mm. I started to see brain scans, I'm like, ooh, less is definitely more. <laughs> so when it comes to alcohol. Is he so, was he somebody that was a, that was very proactive about that and very and, and always. He's never drank ever. Yeah. God, God bless him. <laughs> yeah, he's never he just has never liked it. But then when he started to see brain scans, he's it like, just I'm... yeah. He he got drunk one time when he was sixteen and that was the last time he drank. Good for him. Yeah, both of us are yeah. non-alcoholic drinkers if i have a little bit it just doesn't make me feel good i don't like the right. way it makes my body feel i get really um swollen from it too yeah i might do a champagne toast now like every once in a while but after i really started to learn the effects i'm like oh okay so then i kind of backed off to like you know, once every couple of weeks and then one glass every month. And I'm like, why am I, what's the point? <laughs> like, yeah. I, qu I quit drinking for 30 days, two and a half years ago. <laughs> so I just said, Oh, I'll try it for yeah. 30 days. Then just never see. Cause you end up, yeah, you feel good. You feel so much better. And I think as somebody, and it's interesting when, when I drank it, I was a, I was a binge drinker. I wasn't a daily drinker at all, but you know, go off the rails, buddies out. And then, Oh, why did I do that right. last night? Guilt and shame. But I think the thing that came into key for me was, especially going through trauma is the anxiety. Right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't yeah. start drinking until later on in life till I was in my late twenties. And then I obviously made up for lost time, but I, um, and then by the time I hit 40, I said, um, you know, I'm, uh, this is something I'm having high levels of anxiety and I already, I work in the entertainment industry. So I'm already in a very high anxiety, highs and massive right. highs and lows to begin with. Why do I feel this anxiety? And when I cut the booze out and that anxiety 
went away or it sort of went to a normal level, I was like, oh, this is the alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then all the other things that, you know. No, that's a really good point you're making because one of the reasons people who have experienced or are experiencing a lot of stress, especially past trauma, one of the reasons they drink is because they can't settle down, right? They can't calm themselves down. They feel anxious. They feel all these things. So they drink and they feel better temporarily. So what they don't realize, this was the big aha moment for me. What they don't realize is what it's doing is it's increasing serotonin and dopamine in that moment. But when the alcohol wears off and the more you drink, the worse it is. When the alcohol wears off, your dopamine and serotonin drop below baseline. So if you started with this much serotonin and dopamine and you drink alcohol, it makes you feel this much better. And then you drop below baseline. That's why you feel like crap after when that's why you want more. Then you're like, oh, let me have some more. But then the problem is you need more than you had before to get to that same level. And then you drop lower and people don't understand why they feel so crappy, but they can't get out of the cycle. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a it's a real it's a real problem, and I you know I talk about it a lot. Substance abuse completely runs hand in hand with with tra traumatic, yeah. a traumatic lifestyle. You know, there, there's great things in the program where people say, well, you know, you're you're not really addicted to the substance; you're addicted to the chaos yeah. because that's what you grew up with, right? So normal normal for you is chaos, and then when there's calm and you're in a calm situation, you're like, well, hold on, what's what's going on, right? As an expert, why do you think that is that we even go to that point of why? So you just brought up something really interesting. So I, my husband would tell you that, like, he's my best friend. We've been together 17 years. Um, but he would tell you that I tortured him for the first year and a half. And the truth is, when I met him, I, he, he didn't feel normal. It didn't feel right to me. And I thought he was actually, I thought he was manipulative. I thought I'm like waiting for the other shoe to fall. I'm like, no one is this nice. No one, no one is like this. And so I kept waiting for the other shoe to fall. I kept waiting for something bad to happen and it wasn't happening. And I'm like, he's manipulating me. Something's not right here because it wasn't wrong. And so he, and so he, my, his first gift to me was 10 sessions of EMDR and which is a specific therapy for trauma. And I, 10 sessions turned into two years for me. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then after about a year and a half, I changed my template. What happens is your template gets set. So you, all that cortisol, all that chaos, all those stress hormones, your template, your brain actually gets set for a template of what's normal. And when that doesn't match, to you, something's wrong. So for me, it's like, this dude's trying to manipulate me. He, he's only being nice because he wants something and I don't know what it is yet. And this isn't working for me. Yeah. When in fact, all the other assholes, pardon my French, that I had dated, that is, sure. that is that felt normal to me, even, mm -hmm. the, even though it was a cycle of, that I kept going through and going, I'm never going to do that again. And then I finally meet someone normal and I try to walk away from it. He was just smart enough not to let me walk away. <laughs> I love that. So he was like, no, I, yeah, no, he was super patient. And he's like, you know, I know that this is trauma-based. If you just spend a little bit of time, he introduced me to Byron Katie and he gave me 10 sessions of EMDR and it started me down that path. And I realized in that moment, I'm like, I'm going to repeat the same pattern with my daughter that my mom did with me if I don't fix this. And she was a baby and she was two years old. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. And so that really motivated me. I love that. And, oh, and by the way, my daughter's a one. She's a one. I'm an eight. So that's the goal. <laughs> she, the only thing she has is divorce in her. 
That really shows that you are reversing the generational trauma even, you know, that's so important because if you don't fix yourself. For me, that's the goal. Yeah, you're going to just pass it along to the next generation, next generation, you know, because you also carry those cells from all those generations too. So she has the epigenetics, but she doesn't have the modeling. Okay. So she has the epigenetics, but she doesn't have the modeling. And that's, that's been my goal. That's why I became so obsessed with ACE scores. And you can't change your past, but you can change your habits and you can change your, you know, what you're doing now. And that will not only change the outcome of your health, but it's definitely going to change the next generation. Okay, so so can you clarify that just for our listeners who are not not really familiar with epigenetics and then the model? Can you talk about the two differences between that? Just expound upon that a little bit. So epigenetics is, okay, so this is really weird. We talked about how unfair it is that you're affected by the trauma in your life. Well, how unfair is it that you're affected by things that didn't happen in your lifetime? Okay, so, so for example, my grandmother was a survivor of war, right? So, and um, she went through a great famine and my husband could never figure out why I'm a prepper. <laughs> so I had toilet paper when the pandemic came. So epigenetics is like your history, your family, your familial history, your genetics that way, but also things in the environment are also epigenetics. So they're, they're like beyond your genetics. So things like that are environmental toxins, like stuff like that are also epigenetic. Um, so you can't, those are things that you can't really control. But you can control your habits. You can control. That's why, you know, we often say you have to be a warrior. Um, You have to like really be serious about it because you can't control that. But what you can do is you can, I can't change the past. I can change my future. And that's what I really want to focus on. Right? Yeah. Interesting. So my niece, just to give you a little, a little insight, this is really fun for me um, because she almost ended up in military school. She was not easy when. When they came here, it was not easy. Two girls that were very, very traumatized um, coming into a house where my daughter had never seen any of that, none of that. So that was really tricky. And we got them out of foster care and they had been homeless. They had been, you know, surrounded by their parents, um, uh, their drug dealers. They just, their lives were a mess. And so we adopted them. They came to us. They had had chronic lice. They had all these issues. But when they came to us, they had a hard time, just like I did. And so I sat her down and I explained to her, I'm like, I know what you're doing, because I did it. To her, this didn't feel normal at all. She's like, this place is so weird. It's so quiet. I don't understand it. So she'd start trouble. And I'm like, that's not working for me. And I could see that she was academically gifted. We could see that. So we started pushing on that. She was grounded more time than she wasn't grounded while she was here, because she kept getting into trouble. Um, it was, she almost went to military <laughs> school, because she kept lying and doing crazy stuff. But we kept her on track was not easy. And finally, I was like, sweetheart, this isn't foster care. You don't get to stay here if you don't appreciate the the opportunity you're being given. Like that was finally what got through to her. And I said, good luck finding this opportunity again. Anyways, that that niece, she's a senior right now. She's graduating high school with not one, two associate's degrees. She just got into she got into 11 out of 15 colleges she applied to. And she's going to UCLA. Oh, wow. I love that. See, that's why you, you know, took them in and you did that. Like, I just 
remember hearing the stories in the book about them in foster care. And, you know, if you guys want to know more, check out her book. But it was terrible hearing just what a good circumstance looked like to foster care. Yeah. And I think what you did is just commendable. And I think that Thank you. you were put on this planet to heal others and teach others like what it's like to go through a certain situation and come out and have these tools and this food and everything available. So can you tell us about the Omni Diet? This concludes part one of our two-part episode with Tana Amon. Can't wait for part two? Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes. On that note, Survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.